Cortez Community Radio, and we are interrupting this awesome music for an awesome virtual community meeting with Noba Anderson and friends. And cutting over to you guys, here we are at our community meeting. Hey, thank you, Aton, Mr. Techie in the radio, and Hello and welcome to everybody who's listening on Cortez Community Radio. We need to remember to do the call sign at the bottom at the top of the hour or something, which I keep forgetting uh, historically. And thanks for those of you who joined us on Zoom. This is the fourth, I think, in a series of meetings that uh, we're doing every week Tuesday. We've just jumped forward to 4.30 from 5.30 based on some input that that was right in the dinner hour and tough for families. We had originally done 5.30 because we needed people from the clinic and the stores and things, and that was at the end of the workday, but that's a little bit less relevant now. So welcome, everybody. Um, I just have uh, really a few very small updates um, but I want to hear from those of you who have the updates first and then fill in the gaps from there. So I see that Adam is here to speak from Sita uh, and Mary Lavelle, I think has an update from the hall. And I have a very brief update from the clinic. Is anybody else from a community organization or a business that wants to provide an update at, at the beginning of the meeting here? Can you just let me know? Okay, um, hearing none, let's start with Mary. So just by way of context, I said at the last meeting that the Southern Cortez Community Association, which runs Matson's Hall, and the Cortez Community Health Association, which runs the clinic, those two organizations have been working on um, trying to figure out who is the best delivery agent for a couple of key projects. One has to do with systems navigation, helping the public at large to figure out how to access the various government programs that are rolling out and ever changing. And then the other is around food coordination between the food bank and the stores and delivery um, and just making sure that everyone is who needs it is fed and slightly morphing into sort of a longer term gardening project that I know Linnea and others have been working on. So welcome, Mary. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so, yes, we've been working on a few things. Um, as noted. So let's start with the food response. Um, the food bank, the call out for, for donations has been um, very successful. We have about $6,000 come in so far, and there's um, at least another few thousand promised over the next few weeks. And um, DESTA has had uh, several responses to the matching funds. Um, so there may be even more coming in. Um, Samantha and Desta and I have been working on how to keep the food bank operating, um, especially as it's getting larger. And so we've set up, we have 
we have uh, accounts at um, Bertha's store, the co-op, and the gorge at this point, and I give transfer them money that can then be spent on food. They're all providing sort of vouchers or gift certificates, call them what you will, to Samantha, who can then give these vouchers out together with her food boxes so people will get both staples, dried good staples from her, plus the ability to um, get some fresh food or choose whatever they want to get from the food bank accounts. Um, and we're working also further into the summer with the farmers to see if we can do the same. I'll hold back some money so that we can actually make vouchers for fresh food direct from the farmers at the farmer market. So that's all kind of coming together nicely. Um, we ha um, haven't had a huge uh, amount of calls above normal so far. Most families are contacting DESTA and individuals and anyone else can either contact DESTA or contact Samantha or contact the hall. Either way, we'll make sure that you get food. Um, we also worked, looked at the delivery service from the SRD Delivers and at this point have decided that truly we don't have the need to hire a driver for you know x number of days and that might be coming up maybe that comes up a little later we're not sure but at this point when what we can tell from our needs assessment which is mostly what desta has been doing um there's not a huge need there's also some delivery now from each of the stores and so if we were to put together another delivery person we'd have to you know it would have to be if we could incorporate fresh food from the farms, the food bank, and maybe the stores, maybe we could make a case for it. But at this point, I'm not pursuing that any further. Um, and also for food, the Friday market will be opening, we're hoping May 1st. Um, we're setting up all kinds of checks and balances. It'll be a one-way market. There'll only be a few people allowed in at a time. Um, it'll be food vendors only to start with. And, um, We'll be rolling out more about that in the next week. So, yeah, that'll be the beginning of May. Um, needs assessment is going to continue. The seniors are being added to a survey that's going to go out. The family survey showed that people felt pretty good right now and are more anxious about the future um, than now. There's concerns about our food chain supply. There's concerns about what this looks like in the winter. But for right now, people are feeling okay. Um, so that's one big piece. The other piece I've been working on is the systems navigation. And that we had the SCCA, the CCHA, and also um, CEDA, talking a little bit with Adam about that. Um, and that's um, in the works. We're still trying to figure out exactly how it looks on the ground. We've got a budget ready. Um, the details on how we deliver it are being worked out. Um, but right now we're kind of, we may even need to be hiring someone to deliver the program. And so that it just, it does take a little bit of time. And I got clearly from Sean is that he wanted us to be pretty clear about our program before we, before we were um, making our proposal and ready to roll it out. And we're not quite there. So keep working on that. And hopefully next week we have something a bit more clear. Um, and again, 
the perceived need and the real need is pretty unclear. So uh, it may be a position that we would offer maybe a, you know, by appointment to see people in person at the hall and then virtual meetings on the phone and um, by computer or whatever. Um, but it's, yeah, it's still not clear, like how many people really need our help at this point. And CEDA is also working more on the business side. We would be working more on the um, individual side, looks like. And that's it for me for now. Uh, thank you, Mary. Somebody put into the chat, and just for anyone listening on the radio, there also is a way of reaching uh, the, the food bank in this particular time by emailing Cortez COVID food, Cortez COVID food at gmail.com. And that's, I think, being uh, monitored by the family support coordinator, uh, but we'll you know, support in any which way uh, she can. Um, and another piece just to remind uh, Mary that I've heard from a handful of constituents who we wouldn't normally think of who are seniors on fixed incomes and wouldn't, I don't think, want to avail themselves of the food bank. Uh, but the notion of having to face Cortez food prices for the long run is very daunting. Um, so there had been some discussion about whether there would be a, an off-island food buying sort of club or whether that could be met through the on-island stores through some kind of voucher. So just for those listening on the radio, that, that is being noted. Um, and that's certainly part of the mix that's being worked on. Thank you, Mary. Okay, thank you. Adam, do you want to share some of the updates from the Cortez Community Economic Development Association perspective? Sure. Welcome. And congratulations on pronouncing the entire title correctly. <laughs> um, yeah, so I have a just a handful of kind of small and quick updates. Um, a lot of the things that we're working on are still are still sort of germinating. Um, one thing that we've that we've had as part of our our kind of response is to try and help businesses and organizations get access to government supports wherever possible. Um, and after after looking into the possibility of trying to learn that system to be able to help people, our conclusion was to connect folks on Cortez with outside people for whom that is all they're focusing on, um, because it's pretty complex and changing quite rapidly. So we had our first call on this topic today with Callum Matthews from Tourism Vancouver Island, and they've started a whole coastal tourism resiliency program uh, to try and help people make sense of and survive the current situation. The call was kind of sparsely attended, um, although we did learn from our survey that many people in that industry are unsurprisingly uh, quite dramatically impacted by the fact that there are no tourists arriving on Cortez at this point. Um, and Callum did, did provide a lot of useful information and Tourism Vancouver Island has a program where anyone who's, who's even kind of indirectly uh, a tourism business, and that can include restaurants or folks who sell products or crafts to tourists, can register with their program and be kind of 
have one-on-one -on -one support and advice for navigating the both uh, government financial aid and also um, legal assistance and advice about you know what the the kind of new landscape around employment and um, all the things that businesses are having to, to deal with right now, including ways to think in the longer term about how to use this as a as a, a moment to, to like retool a business or or work on things that might lead to being able to better step back into some kind of revenue generating activity when the opportunity arises. So we uh, the information from that call will will I'll transcribe it and we'll release it probably through our newsletter and, and likely through a tideline post as well. But really what what I would like to do is hear from the community, if possible, what the need is for that. Like, are there people who are, who are, uh, whether, whether those who consider themselves business owners or not, many people on Cortez have an aspect of entrepreneurship in how they make their livelihoods. Um, and we are trying to, to help as needed, but we need to know what, what we could do to help. Um, and if there's a need, so I, I'm going to be looking into what the what the next call or calls we might organize on that topic would be, um, and we'd like to hear from folks on Cortez, if possible, whoever's whoever feels like reaching out. Um, info at cced.ca is the CEDA email address, and. Um, yeah, just be great to hear what we can do to help, and if we can, if we can, if we can facilitate also Cortez people to help each other um, through online meetings where there's some peer support for applications to government funding or, or whatever. There are lots of potentials, but we're curious. Um, and then, um, on a different topic, we're we're this the current crisis is really connected connects to a lot of our long-term intentions for CETA as kind of a facilitator of building a more diverse and regenerative and resilient economy on Cortez. Um, and we have several working groups that are, that are working on pieces of that. And those, group, those working groups are, are open to members of the community who are interested. So one of them is for developing a community investment co-op, which is like a, a vehicle for locals to invest in local businesses instead of in um, RRSPs or, or the stock market. So we're working on that. Um, we are working on a, developing a, a tech platform for, or, or uh, finding a tech platform, uh, establishing a tech platform for sharing of needs and offers among community members. That's another very, very germinal working group. Um, we have a, a very, very active focus on food and food security right now. So if anyone would like to participate in that CETA working group, um, which is quite closely connected to what Linnea is doing and other folks on the island. Um, and then we're also having, having conversations about local currency, and uh, particularly the possibility of a local currency that was tied to the local food economy. So that's an, an exciting and slightly more 
uh, radical projects that were that were kind of just prospecting in and and reaching out also to off-island local, local and complementary currency experts who are who are very interested in key and keen in helping with this little this little petri dish that is cortez that has many curious and interesting things going on so those are a few of the working groups and then then the third thing this is getting kind of a, turning into a very long share but i apologize um we are going to be running a business training series which is connected to the community investment co-op because in order to in order for that to have a function there needs to be business plans and, and business ideas and business people or, or entrepreneurs in the, in the wide definition of this for investments to be received by um, so it's a good time if you're Socially distance and your your employment has shrunk. If you have business or product or service or social enterprise ideas that have been in the back of your mind, um, bring them out and start thinking about them because we will be starting a series of, of business planning training um, events as well as other business skills events. Um, to try and see what's in the woodwork here on Cortez that could turn into potentially fundable enterprises and social enterprises that would make a difference to uh, life on the island and the long-term sustainability and and resilience of of island abundance. So yeah, that's that's it for me. Okay, thank thank you, Adam. So if there's any either individuals who want to get involved in the work that CETA is doing or any businesses who need your support to navigate systems or anything else, the best way to get in touch with you is info at cceda.ca. Is that right? It's Sorry, it's cceda.ca. Seed.ca. Slightly confusing given that's not your acronym, but okay. So info at cced.ca to get in touch with CEDA. Um, got you. Um, I did have a call from a business who um, is pretty small and struggling and um, in the tourism sectors and having a hard time navigating the system. So I'll direct them to you then. Thank you, Adam. Um, is there anybody else who's just joined the call in the last few minutes who wanted to provide an update uh, before I go into my little pieces of update at the end. Um, Bertha, anything from the retail sector or anyone else? Okay, well, seeing none, you can certainly, uh, oh, yeah, Bertha? I, I don't have anything to add, just thought I could make Okay, sure. thank you. <laughs> um, so a, a great follow-up then to what Adam was saying. I just wanted to share, and this isn't really directly COVID related, but community, big picture community response to the times, which certainly include COVID, is that the Cortez Community Foundation, who hosted a social profit forum last fall with businesses and nonprofits, nonprofits and businesses who have a community membership, so the community forest and co-op, et cetera, um, just sent out the report from that and invited the non 
I guess that whole list, so that whole social profit sector to a call next week on, on Monday the 27th. And part of what the foundation is going to be asking those people in attendance to do is think through all of the sort of community priority projects that we have identified as a community, either through the economic action plan or the forum itself or through the other processes we've been through as a community, um, and prioritize them in this new time of, of disruption. And I really strongly believe in, in looking at the macro picture that if we as a community, as best as we can define ourselves, can come up with clear common goals that the resources will flow to support that. There's something very powerful um, about having a bunch of people saying, yes, this is the direction we should go in. If somebody has some funds they want to donate and it's unclear where the best place to put those funds are or has time they want to contribute and it's unclear where the best place is, if the social profit sector can help um, with a, a clear prioritization, uh, I truly think the, the funds and, and resources and energy will flow to support that. So that's in the works. I'm also having conversations with the nonprofit sector around how to do grant and aid this year, regional district grant and aid funds in a more democratic and um, sort of more responsive uh, way. I talked to the doctor at the clinic today and she asked me to share just a really brief one-liner and that's that anybody who is symptomatic with anything that's potentially COVID, so worsening cough or um, you know, respiratory difficulties in any way is now eligible for a swab. They are working on uh, trying to f increase the, what do you call the anonymity? No, the privacy around doing that because they've been out in the parking lot and of course other people's go by and, and that's tricky, but they're not wanting symptomatic people to come into the clinic. But they are asking that people phone ahead um, and make an appointment because there are there's time sensitivity to when they get the swab and when they send it in. So, um, but anyone who's symptomatic now qualifies. Um, I wanted to give an update on the sort of well-being meeting. So a week ago on this call, the discussion was around how to seed community well-being, both personal and community in the face of potentially long-term social distancing measures. We're hearing from different authorities, this might go on for some weeks or months or years, depending on who you talk to. And so there was a group of people at the end of our meeting last week that wanted to continue on that discussion and met yesterday. It was a small group, but a really enthusiastic group. And there, um, lots of suggestions around how we could do that and, and this time the group was leaning toward really supporting the individual well-being and, and holding off a little bit on creating spaces, inviting people into the physical environment of sharing even though there was some suggestions that we could do that in really responsible ways, spaced out on fields, um, playing, what was it, corn, corn wall, Cornwall, some some kind of game where you were spaced apart. It seemed that the desire was to support people on their own into in personal well-being for the next few weeks, and then see where we're at in terms of social distancing orders, um, and then finding ways of bringing people together in person in a responsible way over time. Um, and so the, the next step that that group has committed to taking is inviting, and I I will I or the group will send out. 
an email hopefully today or tomorrow, but I just want to be known on the call here today that anybody who is in the professional um, health and well-being field other than you know the frontline physicians working at the clinic. Uh, so anyone who does body work or yoga or meditation support or um, supports well-being in the physical, spiritual, energetic realms, uh, those professionals are being invited to come on a call together uh, this Friday to have a discussion internally around um, some of the things that they might suggest that individuals and as a community we'd be doing to support our well-being. And then hopefully we will also record part of that discussion and have it available online and on the radio. Um, and then the the little well-being group will reconvene after that and, and take next steps. So if you would like to be part of that group, please let me know. Uh, there were a few others that joined us as well. I think that's it for the updates that aren't specifically with regards to either housing or um, sort of connecting work labor force. It's just after five. So what I'm, the group that was on for the first few minutes decided that what we're going to do for the benefit of all of us in this small group, as well as the benefit of the radio and welcome, uh, hello everyone out there in radio land. You are listening to Cortez Community Radio. CKTZ at 89.5 FM. Thanks for joining us that way. Um, somebody is saying they'd like to be part of that group. Thank you. S where, did, where was I? Oh, so we're going to have a bit of a discussion about housing. And then if anybody wants to carry on the second topic around work, labor force uh, connecting up, great. So I want to share the seed the housing discussion uh, by way of a brief update and then sharing a recording with you. So I had been getting a lot of phone calls and emails from people both on the tenant and the landlord side who were just wanting to really try to get clear around the regulations. I put out an article a few days ago. Roy Hales also put out an article on Cortez Currents, I think just today. It seems like both of us have made the same um, slight omission or error. I must say in my multiple conversations with people at the residential tenancy branch, I'm getting different versions of things. And in speaking with some very dedicated renters who are also really trying to get to the bottom of this, it seems like they're getting different answers. But what I did this morning is I, I phoned the, the tenancy branch after trying to get somebody to join us as a resource person on this call through them and through the minister's office and, and was unsuccessful. And I just recorded, a, I think, an eight or a nine minute conversation that I had with her um, trying to get to the, the really the bottom of something. So I wanted to share that recording with you so you can hear it from somebody other than me, somebody who's more professional in these things. But in essence, um, what I was trying to get super clear about is if you have a, a fixed term lease that says you must be out by you know May 1st or June 1st, does COVID uh, trump that or was that illegal in the first place? And it seems like there is a, there is a clause, there's a section E in the RTD1 form that if both the tenant and the landlord sign does allow the the tenancy to end on that date and the landlord to reoccupy for any period of time less than six months but unless you sign that particular section of that particular form then you 
your fixed term tenancy rolls over into a month to month and everything applies. So I'll, I'll play you that recording and we will update the articles with that piece. Uh, so I, th I think it's just eight or nine minutes and then we'll go into discussion from there. If I, we tested this before and I think the audio is all right, um, I trust Aton will tell me if it isn't. Here we go. So if, while I've got you on the line, if I might um, try to just really get clear on this question, um, which I think I've got clear on before, but I'm getting pushed back from some of my constituents, so I just am really trying to drill to the bottom of it. Um, there's been a historical practice here on the island of um, people having second homes that they come to in the summer for three, four, two months, whatever it might be, less than six months, often from other countries, and will have a, a tenant in their property for, say, eight months or nine months at a time, and then come back and, and take occupancy for the summer. Um, that it, the agreements are often done on a fixed term agreement uh, where you know both agree that by June 1st or whatever it is the tenant will move out. So I'm talking pre-COVID or post-COVID for the moment. My understanding is that the Residential Tenancy Act changed um, a couple of years ago such that fixed term leases when they expire automatically roll into a month to month and that to end a fixed term tenancy the landlord needs to give two months notice even if the the term has a limit to it. Um, I also understand that the owner can't reoccupy for less than six months. Or, or am I mistaken in any way? Um, you're, you're kind of correct, but there's also a section on the residential tenancy agreement that we have available for people to use. Um, it's on page two. Um, and it's box E that they would need to select. Um, so it's at the end of the tenant the fixed term, if the landlord's going to be reoccupying the unit, um, so if they're leaving for six months and then they're planning on coming back, then they would select that box and that would end the tenancy. And are, is the landlord permitted to return then to use the property themselves for less than a six-month period of time? Yes. Okay, when I phoned this same number a few days ago and spoke to somebody else, I got a different answer, and I've spoken to some tenants who have called multiple people and multiple times and got multiple different answers to that specific question. So how do I get to the absolute bottom of it? I, um, sure, it's 13.1 of the residential tenancy regulations. Okay. That section. So it's important that they use that tenancy agreement that we have available and they select that specific box. Yep. Um, and that's for when a landlord is going to be reoccupying their, their home or rental unit. And there's no, they can do that for any short period of time. Yes, there's no time frame prescribed for using that section of the tenancy agreement. Okay. So in these times of COVID then, if there was a, a fixed term tenancy agreement that was entered into, say, back in September and somebody's supposed to move out May 1st or June 1st, um, and the tenant and the landlord have both agreed to that and, um, you know, tick box E and signed it, um, can the landlord force them to vacate at the end of that tenancy given COVID situation? So the tenant should still be honoring the agreement. However, if they don't move out because of COVID-19, 
the landlord is unable to um, enforce the end of tenancy until after the state of emergency is accepted. So they would have to make an application to get an order of possession, and normally you would enforce it in the Supreme Court if the tenancy is leave. However, because of the COVID, they can't take that last step of enforcing it in the Supreme Court. I see. Okay. And the tenancy piece aside, if somebody just has a month-to-month -month rental, um, the all regular evictions at this point are halted until the state of emergency is lifted. Is that correct? That's correct. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, and if somebody has a month-to-month -month agreement, um, can so the I guess just, yeah the the lease aside, if somebody has a month-to-month -month agreement. Um, can they give the required, I believe, two months notice and then use it for commercial or their own use or anything they like? Are there any stipulations on pre-COVID on the uh, reasons for terminating a lease? Or sorry, terminating a month-to-month -month tenancy? For the, the two months notice, um, it has to be for landlord property. So either the landlord's moving into the rental unit a close family member of the landlord is moving into the rental unit, so that would be a child or a parent, maybe like an aunt or a grandchild. Okay. Um, and they need to occupy the rental unit for at least six months. Oh, so that's where the six months comes in, is the month to month. So the six month doesn't apply to the, the fixed term, but rather only the month to month. Um, it, can, it can apply to normal fixed-term tenancies. It's only it doesn't apply to fixed-term tenancies when the landlord has selected box E on the residential tenancy agreement. I see. I see. Okay. Um, and yet all of that is out the window at this particular COVID emergency time. Is that right? There are no evictions permitted? Yeah, you cannot give any notices right now. They would not be enforceable. Great. I, I think that's really the, the crux of the matter. and, and if I trust your professionalism, then what you're saying is correct. That's really helpful. Um, we've just been receiving some mixed messages that people are hearing in different circumstances. So um, I, I will take that and share that on the call. And sure. It, I don't know if it would be helpful to print off the, the tenancy agreement and the, the section of the regulations that explains the 13.1. Sure. Um, which is about six terms ending um, because the landlord's moving in and they don't have to live there for any set term. Okay. Um, and then I can also give you the section of the act that explains the two months notice if that would be helpful. That would be grand. Okay, that's section 49. Um, section 49, and that pertains to what, sorry? That's the two months notice. Okay, great. Okay, if regulations, the one that the 13.1 is in. And, and these are these are both sections of the Residential Tenancy Act, is that right? Um, the 49 is in the Act, the 13.1 is in the regulations, so it's just um, a separate document that's available on our website. I see. Okay. I, I don't have an interest in becoming a, an expert at these things, but I will like, look into those two points because that seems to be where the confusion lies for people. Um, and then I can give you the form number as well. Sorry to keep interrupting. No, please. Yep. The RTD one is the the agreement that includes the thirteen point one The RT RTD one form is the form that the tenant and landlord would need to both fill out and sign in order to um, in enact section E. Yeah. 
Exactly. Okay, perfect. And so if there's been a month to month tenancy agreement without that RTD1 form in section E signed, then the landlord at this point cannot, even under normal circumstances, cannot reoccupy for less than six months. Is that correct? Okay, I thank you for helping me get to the bottom of this. And if there is somebody um, who would be available to be on our call at 4.30, it would be so much more credible coming from your office than from me. Um, I would appreciate a call back. Yeah, no problem. I'll forward it on to my supervisor, okay? And what's your name, sorry? Sarah. Sarah. Thank you, Sarah. All the best. Thank you. You too. Bye. So I hope that by the end of that, it was clear to people. Um, really, in summary, what I get is that in this particular time of COVID, there's no evictions. That being said, if Clause E was entered into, the tenant really should honour it. Uh, but if they don't, the landlord has no recourse at this time. And in non-COVID situations, the only way for um, a landlord to terminate a non-Section E lease or a month-to-month -month, uh, agreement is with two months' notice and for them, the landlord or their immediate family to occupy for a minimum six-month period. So that, I, as long as Sarah was speaking correctly, I think we got to the bottom of that. Um, and I, I know that there's a lot of rental situations that don't abide by that. So it'd be interesting to see this year um, with tourism being down or not returning, we'll see how long this goes on, um, how this will affect it for this year and how landlords and tenants will adjust over time. So that's really the, the only update I have. I see that Candace with uh, Cortez Vacation Rentals put a link in the chat that is the form. I'm assuming that's the RTD1 form. And I'm sure Candace has much more knowledge about this than I do. So I, I open it up at this point to anybody who has any questions or um, comments or suggestions or thoughts at all. I just uh, remind you that this is a public forum and is being recorded. So uh, probably best to leave specifics aside of, you know, spe anything specifics with regards to your individual situation and names. I see Dana. Welcome. Yeah, Dana. I just I just want to mention that in the chat, uh, I recommended that if people have specific questions about your own individual circumstance, that you call an 800 number and I posted it on the chat. So I, I called them myself and I found them very helpful. Great. Thank you, Dana. And for those of you on the radio, that's 1-800-665-8779. 1-800-665-8779. And if you didn't write that down, you can search. I just was very easily able to look up BC Residential Tenancy, and there's uh, various contact numbers there. Anyone else? Any other thoughts about, uh, you know, questions, information, or just general thoughts about how this will affect Cortez going forward? Mm -hmm. 
So this consider this a breakout discussion forum. I could just call on some of you. Um, Candice, I will call on, on you from the vacation rental perspective. Do you have anything to share in terms of what your practices are as a company, what you're hearing from your clients, um, any sense of anticipation of how this might roll out? Um, did I err in any way from your understanding of things? Welcome, Candice. Um, thank you, Jiwiz. Um, I don't, we don't handle tenancies. We never have. So I'm also not an expert on long-term tenancy agreements. Um, but the way it was just kind of summarized with your after is how I understand it as well. Um, so that's that part. And then I think in terms of, I mean, every, it's the question everybody wants to know and nobody has the answer to what is the summer going to look like um, in BC, in Canada, across the world. I think, you know, we've had a few cancellations because of COVID concerns, financial and health. But for the most part, um, our guests are holding on and hoping to still come up. And the same with the homeowners who spend time in the summer on Cortez. Everyone just kind of has their fingers crossed. But at the end of the day, it's going to be, um, it's going to be up to the government and COVID really as to what's allowed. And it's, you know, mid-April and there's just a big question mark, I think, for us and probably for everybody. Thank you, oh, Candace. I can't for, hear you. Thank you, Candace, for responding on the spot. I appreciate that. Um, so <laughs> sure. Is there anybody else uh, who wants to speak to this matter? Uh, note from Desta in the chat that said households that have lost 25% or more of monthly income are, are also eligible for the BC temporary rental supplement. Um, that's true. So there's a, a lot of you who are in the vacation rental market in some form and will have lost your income or may already have been losing your income. Um, so there's support for you there. And, and there's a, a 1-800 number there, one 757 2577 Again, one 757 2577 And that's for the temporary, BC temporary rental supplement. Anyone else? Okay, so my commitment is to update my article and I believe that uh, Roy has done or will do the same. Roy, I see you've joined us. Did, did you want to share anything from your conversations with the residential tenancy branch? Did you have a a different understanding from me or anything you wanted to add? Actually, I think you covered it. And no, we're on the same page right now. Okay, thank you, Roy. I am and updating even as we talk. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I love those contact numbers, I thought were good. Uh, great, and I certainly acknowledge that I got a couple of emails from constituents saying, hey, you got it wrong. And over the weekend, I couldn't do anything to really verify that without getting lost in the 
Residential Tenancy Act. So apologies for the slow response. A note here from Aton saying that your rental payment has to be at least 30% of your current income to be eligible for the BC temporary rental supplement, I gather. Um, okay. Max, did you want to share something? Yeah, I was going to ask a question. Um, just curious if uh, if there's a whole bunch of um, vacant homes this summer that aren't being rented out, are those still being held in case the tourist prohibition is lifted? Or is that a bunch of housing that's hoping to be used up and wondering, haven't any ideas about that as a community resource, but it's always good to know what's happening. Over. Thanks, Max. Um, it's a tricky one given how personal people's homes are. Uh, I mean, I certainly tend to think a little bit along the collective resource line as you do. Um, and I reached out to the community housing group some weeks ago asking whether they might stretch in this time of COVID into a little bit of a, a matching organization and, and they probably wisely declined. Um, I, I know in speaking with some people, I know some people who come regularly in the summers are really hoping that the border will be open and they will be able to come up and, and occupy their otherwise empty house. Uh, some are in Canada and it's not a border issue, but are being told to stay put. So I know that there are houses that are currently empty that the tenant is hoping to return to, uh, but may not be able to. I know of a few situations where people have wanted to bring their, you know, their kids returning to, to live with them for the summer from away from university or whatever it might be, um, but who want to quarantine for two weeks upon arrival before potting with their parents. Um, and some private arrangements have been made to, you know, go to a friend's house that is otherwise empty for the two weeks quarantine period before coming back to live with mom and dad. Uh, so, so I know there's creative pairings that are happening on a more natural level um, because people's homes are indeed so private. I mean, unless you've left your house in preparation for it to be a vacation rental, you probably wouldn't want just anybody in there going through your personal stuff. Um, but if in fact you've left your home for it to be a vacation rental and that's not going to happen, it's a very valid question about it. Could that then be housing for otherwise displaced people? And I don't yet have a mechanism to do that matching, to do that pairing, um, given the housing society didn't want to take that up. And I, I doubt that Cortezan Vacation Rentals wants to get into that business. Although Candace, if I err, I'm sure he'll let me know. Um, but there might just be a way on the, the community uh, needs and what, what's you call Adam, that the needs and offers platform, that that could happen uh, organically a little bit if I've you know, if, I, if I'm giving up on the summer rental market and I can throw it up there as um, as an offer. I, I know somebody, for instance, who's in a situation where they made an agreement to be out by June 1st. Now, I don't know if they ticked Section E or not, uh, but they want to be good to their word. And, you know, they'll be living in a trailer or something, a tent. I don't know. Uh, if they had another place to go, that might be great. So there's just so many individual circumstances that I don't quite know how to navigate. So I really welcome your collective wisdom on this call about 
um, if there's some way of, of filling those gaps. I don't know, Max, if you've had any thoughts. Um, and Roy puts in the chat here, is, is there a URL for the needs and offers platform? Adam, do you want to speak briefly to that again? Yeah, there is not yet. Um, all we have at this point is Tideline and the special section for COVID-19, um, but we're working on it. Great. And we will spread the URL far and wide once it is ready. We did pilot a few things, Aton particularly, and we're currently working on some new ideas for what that might be built out of. Great. There, there is, though, I'll just say, there is still the Resilient Cortez Forum, which does not have needs and offers functionality per se, but there it is a way to, to put things up um, separately from Tideline. The second uh, topic for conversation, and I, I don't have any information to offer, um, any fancy recordings or, or any background per se, but the, the second invitation and and perhaps if some of you aren't aren't interested in participating, you could you know sign off, and maybe a smaller group could dig into this um, at your pleasure. A, a number of people have brought to my attention, and it's certainly on my radar that we have um, a very rare circumstance that that might, who knows, that might last throughout much or, or all of the summer, where we have, uh, in theory, an available labor force. I know there's a lot of people who worked in the shellfish industry who aren't working right now or in the landscaping or tourism or lots of different sectors where they're not working at all or not very much at this point. Many of those people hopefully have some funds from the government coming in, uh, some of whom would quite happily take a break from working and uh, have many projects that they want to attend to and aren't interested in community projects, and that's entirely fair. Um, others, I have received phone calls from some people saying, you know, I, I'm not working right now. I'm I'm on government money, so I don't need money, and I'm bored out of my mind. You know, point me to a patch of dirt that I can dig. What what can I do? Uh, and I'm certainly there are people beyond those who have gotten in touch with me. And my inbox isn't a very effective place at receiving all of those. I've also been receiving emails from people saying, "Hey, you know, I have a particular." Um, thing that I could offer the community, a particular skill or ca particular capacity, uh, you know, how could that plug into a broader community needs? So I just, and, and then at the same time, there's many community projects over the years that we have um, had an interest in doing that are community priority projects, but often perhaps not the labor force to implement them. And so I have been called by a number of people to say, can we find a way of pairing that opportunity and that need up? So the very simplest one would be, say, gardening. Perhaps there's been an interest to develop some community gardens historically, but there hasn't been the funds to pay people to do it. And uh, people haven't wanted to volunteer or even have the time in the summer season. And now there might be that availability. So would people either be interested in volunteering or could we fundraise to support to pay some people to, to do these community projects. Um, I remember on a previous call, Bill Dugan of the Gorge Marina had thought that if he could get some of the wage subsidy, which I think the Gorge didn't end up qualifying for, uh, perhaps he could redirect a few of, of his staff to community priority projects, whatever that might be. So I maybe I'll put um, 
Adam a little bit on the spot or, or Mary or Roy or anybody who's been part of the community processes, the social profit forum or the leap report, are there community projects that come to your mind that might be assisted by an available labor force? And is there some way of inspiring um, people to work on those projects uh, or getting people to um, financially support paying people to, to do that work? So that's about all I've got. It was just an invitation for ideation. Another thing that we might consider doing is everyone who has the bandwidth to support it, per, turn on your video. It allows a little bit more sense of being in a room together, uh, given that I'm done with most of my talking head stuff. And if you don't have a bunch of uh, noise in the background, you could even unmute yourself and uh, pretend that we're all in a little room here together, having a, a bit of a think for the betterment of our community. I can unmute, but I don't really have the bandwidth here, so. Thank, thank you, Mary. Desta, was that you just waving or did you have something to share? Just waving, okay. No, but I have probably a, a couple of pretty unexciting things to share or, or obvious things. Great. Um, one is that I think the needs offers platform will be a place where what you're describing could potentially happen if, it, if in fact there are people who are um, unemployed and, and ready to be to be engaged with community projects. Um, the first thing that came to mind is is having been part of many island nonprofits is recruit those people for boards and committees because we're always short <laughs> on on board members and committee members. Yeah, and there are a ton of things that Pete is doing right now that. Y'all can come deep clean the hall. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice, nice guy, Mary. <laughs> but that's not entirely a joke. Like, this might be a time to get some of those things done that we can do safely at a distance and that would be such a gift if a few people have a few extra hours. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I really think it would be great. And also, and, and it's big enough that we could have distance. And also our front garden is like appalling. And uh, at one point was a garden and we've never had the funds and the time to do that. So yeah, I could definitely um, come up with a few projects if people wanted to do things. I thought I'd do them all on my own, but. Huh. <laughs> yeah, that's I actually. I actually looked into something here uh, at the Gorge Hall, which I suppose would apply to Manson's. In, uh, the water system that I used to take care of here at the Gorge has to be sanitized on a radial shock the well and all this sort of thing. And it's, it's sitting dormant. So I, I've actually sent a letter out to find out if there's any guidelines, how long it can sit dormant without stagnating and needing to be cleaned uh, i mean you know the, okay the hall may be dormant for another several months but who knows with forest fires or any other bloody strange thing could happen that hall might need to be used sooner than we think and you would want quality water in there so i'm waiting for a response on that from the government from viha <laughs> Something that I heard from Ed Safarek, and I hope I'm not speaking out of line on a, a community call with, with uh, the beginning of all of this, I think with the nonprofit leadership, 
was th there has been dreams in the works for a long time at the clinic to build an addition. And I mean, that's not something you can just get one or two people to come on a Thursday afternoon. But if there was some labor force available and some fundraising capacity or for some government programs that that we, we might think of some of these bigger projects that have not been happening for a long time for lack of labor. Uh, if there, I mean, I've been talking to a couple of people at Island Sea Farms who are out of work, who are fit and young and not all of whom have dependents, you know, to what degree they want to volunteer, I don't know, but there's certainly opportunity for discussion. But you were talking about two qual uh, categories. You're talking about volunteer projects, which I assume was Manson's Hall, but you're hmm. also talking about employment for people, which would be different or maybe not. I don't know. Correct. I mean, some people are in a position where they've got government funds and can offer their time. Um, other people in a position where uh, they would still need to, to be paid, but perhaps a combination of both, where there's some, you know, supervisory paid and some people who are willing to volunteer to some degree. There's just, there's a lot of people not doing what they normally do this time of year. Uh, to asked, is there a list of priorities that the Social Profit Forum came up with? Um, yes, there is, and I'm going to turn my attention the next few days to going through those in preparation for the call with the Community Foundation next week. Um, I don't have them at my fingertips. Could both Manson's and Gorge put out their Why list? Okay, I see Christine, Max, Adam, and Roy. So, Roy, go ahead. Could, is there... Um, I'm just thinking, Mary has a whole bunch of uh, projects that she mentioned for Manson's. Uh, would she be coordinating them, coordinating them and put a list out or something? Uh, sure, I, I could think of doing that. I was talking up the top of my head there. So, <laughs> <laughs> so well, <laughs> but yes, I could definitely follow up with an invitation, um, you know, uh, that we would need to set up carefully with not too many people coming at once and all that. But, but for sure, I could do that. Then you need to, go ahead, Roy. Then you need to people to contact you to uh, go forward. Yes. You were just saying not too many people at once. Yes. Okay. I wonder if this isn't a bit of a natural extension of the, the needs and offers page. I mean, there could be a needs and offers in terms of you know, connecting individual with individual to help people out in their backyards, etc. But there could also be one for community where... Uh, community organizations submit their priority projects that people could sign up for in a more coordinated way. Um, Christine? Well, I was going to say a couple of obvious things. Roy's kind of touched on one of them, but really a specific project needs, as we all know, one person to coordinate, to step forward and say, I will coordinate, I will volunteer, I will be the contact person. And um, I, I'm thinking that, you know, people who are in this general discussion know that there are, you know, this needs an assessment um, that's that's in process, but I still feel that the broader Cortez community doesn't, isn't engaged at this level. So the question is how do we put the question out to the broader community? Are there specific projects that you, that we could take advantage of having more people available with labor and time that could be paired up with a coordinator. So I'm just wondering if a summary from this town hall meeting might not succinctly say, 
um, can we have a call out or uh, uh, to the community to list some of these very specific projects? I mean, one of the projects which I have been talking to people about is how do we pair up, for instance, some of the teens who I think might be getting physically restless with um, either gardening or wood cutting. So that's a very specific, um, easy pairing of people. It, it requires some coordination. You couldn't have more than probably two teens at a shift with probably a parent or an adult who was monitoring the social distancing. I mean, those are the extra intricacies of what we're talking about. But I still think that it's possible if the community is better engaged, informed and then engaged, that we might be able to move forward more specifically. And the community hall is a really excellent example of a specific project. Over. Thank you for that, Christine. And, and I profoundly believe that if we get clear about what our priorities are, the resources will rise to match them. Um, I expect that we could fund a few people on a part-time, short-term basis to be coordinators for the needs platform, for the you know, Gardens for Community program, for, for others. Um, Adam? Yeah, so that's, you, sort of, you sort of mentioned part of what I was going to say related to the coordinator question. Um, that Christine brought up, CETA is working to define and find funding for a food security coordinator, and part of that role would likely be um, helping to match people with community gardens, both for growing their own food or for volunteers to help establish and maintain and rehabilitate gardens um, in various places of the island, and also to harvest to have kind of a task force for harvesting food that otherwise goes to waste, particularly fruit, which I think is, uh, there is a lot of that on the island from what I've heard. Um, so that was one thing. And, and then related to that, if we could find a way to, to have appropriately physically distant work bees, I think that would be a way to engage people in something that would be both, you know, uh, useful and and putting people to work who might be willing to do some community volunteer and also fun like and and a, a context in which we could actually see each other in person at a safe distance and be doing good work together which i think would be would be uh helpful for all of our mental health at this point and as as the physical distancing protocols continue that need will probably continue and increase as well um, and i know that that CETA has been working on planning for a work bee on the the commercial property next to the hall um, or or near near to the hall um, so as soon as that as soon as we can figure out how to do that appropriately work bees could be a good way of the community um, mobilizing, employing, and entertaining itself. Certainly something that came up on the on the discussion last week and on the follow-up call yesterday was around how to get together in person in good ways and whether they would be organized by a group of just individuals for pure fun, which is has a lot of merit as well, get together on the school field and you know share music six feet apart, 
or whether and or whether there's ways of repurposing some of the really critical um, fundraising gatherings that the nonprofits rely on for fundraising. So the the, the lip syncs, the love fests, the you know these sorts of things. Could there be some way for these organizations to rejig some of what they do in a socially distance appropriate way to provide both the 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 gatherings that we so cherish and some some fundraising and some community purpose. So I think we're a ways away from answering these questions, but people are beginning to think on them. And, and certainly what the wellness group decided is let's in the next few weeks focus on how to support individuals. But I'm really delighted that we're beginning to seed these ideas and questions so that in the weeks and months to come, we can find some way of actually seeing each other in person in a good way. I, I wanted to go back to the coordinating question. I saw Christine's hand up there. But would uh, are we talking about the halls doing their own coordinating and uh, CETA doing their own, or would CETA be uh, the coordinator for everybody? Or how how would we do? I, I'm of the belief that unless there's a coordinator, it doesn't happen. Well, if I can answer the the, the CETA bit of that. Um, we're working on the role for a food secu security coordinator who would be able to coordinate a whole range of food-related things. Now that's one piece. Um, and then CETA would be coordinating whatever work the type activities we could organize for the CETA property in Manson's. So that's the scope of what CETA has considered taking on in terms of that type of coordination so far. But I, I would wager to almost guarantee that if this community could put together the, the list of socially distance appropriate projects from community organizations and active community leaders um, and somehow collectively prioritize those and it became clear that a coordinator was needed, we can find the funds to make that happen. There are enough people here uh, who care deeply about this place, who are willing to put some funds towards these these key projects, then seed all kinds of other things. And there may well be all kinds of grants in, in this time that we're not aware of either. So I think really the first piece is to come together um, and identify what's priority and all kinds of things can flow from there. So I get the first question before we get to the coordinator question is who would be willing to coordinate that sort of collective um, project idea gathering? Is that something that an organization or an individual could take on? I mean, it could, it could be a, as simple as a, a Google Doc that the various organizations are invited to uh, contribute ideas to. It's certainly something I'm willing to bring to the social profit forum call next week, where we'll all be gathered and uh, and find a few people who are willing to, to run with that. Yeah, Christine? Well, I just, I see that Max is still listening here. So I'm just thinking of specific projects uh, again. And I understand that Foci had to cancel their broom bash um, at the time when organizations felt that they had to do what was socially responsible for them so they weren't liable and they were creating a situation that was um that was not recommended <clears throat> but it does seem to me that there is a very simple easy um 
it's not a high priority in terms of community hall servicing and community gardens, but it's also a very easy um, project that you could grab some teens three or four, keep them socially apart from each other and go and do a boom, uh, you know, a broom bash. And it wouldn't be something that was officially sponsored by Foci because I feel that they probably couldn't take that step. But I'm just curious as to what Max would say about something like that. Except the parks are closed. Yeah, yeah right. Um, yeah, we, we definitely uh, are considering going ahead with the broom bash a little later when the broom starts flowering. It's a little bit more effective even. But yeah, and for the first couple of weeks, it was uh, a little bit scary to consider going ahead with that kind of thing. But I think as we move further into the pandemic, everybody's getting a little bit more accustomed to things and feeling a little bit more uh, acceptable of, of safe safe gathering so yeah we'll probably do that kind of stuff um and yeah i'm just a little bit my brain is racked with with the possibility i had no idea that there was such a a labor force i feel like there's a million things we could be doing um there does exist a google doc um for people who have volunteer energy and ability I'm not sure how widely circulated that has gone but that that structure exists and could be augmented. I was curious about um, why the shellfishers are out of work and what's happening to all their shellfish and whether a job that we could create would be to process that for local consumption, maybe like doing a big canning blitz or something. So I'll speak to that. I've um, And yeah, there's... Sure. Just on the shellfish front, um, I've spoken to people both in um, management positions at Island Sea Farms as well as some shellfish growers. And what I understand is that most of Island Sea Farms employees have been, um, I guess, laid off is the term for the, the time being because there's literally no market to sell into because people aren't going out and eating at dinner. Uh, but there are a few people actively seeding, I think, the 2022 harvest, uh, you know, seeding that. Otherwise, the business goes belly up if they don't have any product that they're seeding for two years from now. Uh, but they're not harvesting. Now, if this um, only goes on for a handful of months, then they still have totally viable product and they're not looking to uh, to give it away at this time. If this goes on for years, well, I will have another discussion at some other time. I'm not sure what would happen then. Um, similarly, with the um, the private oyster growers, what I'm hearing is that although there's no market and they're not selling, um, there's a huge amount of maintenance that always needs to happen. There's those little critters. I mean, they're farmers and their little critters are alive and they need the care and attending. And in speaking with one grower, um, who was saying that actually because it's a very warm spring and with with increased water temperatures and the associated pathogens that this time is gold because it allows them the, the kind of care and moving the oysters around into the intertidal and getting out of the pathogens in the water column, et cetera. So that they're going to have less die off of, of their oysters that they would have had otherwise because they would have been so busy getting orders ready for market as opposed to caring. So there might actually be a really beautiful silver lining for some of the oyster farmers in this. Um, it's unclear to me how many of them 
would qualify for the the, the financial relief. I mean, certainly their uh, their income has tanked like a hundred percent because there's absolutely no sales happening. Uh, but I don't know if as in the agriculture sector, if it's, there's somehow a different consideration, there was thought that there might be specific agricultural funding as well. So uh, I don't think we're looking at uh, at mass processing quite yet, Max. Uh, if we get to a point where, you know, many, many months or a year or two from now, then, then perhaps so. I did ask one oyster grower, look, if you're just in a hypothetical scenario, if the oyster market never opened again, could we eat all the oysters locally that were grown? He said, oh, God, we'd, you know, we'd flood Cortez. You'd have to eat oysters, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, especially if you add mussels to that. So, um, Because I was wondering, is it is it time for the community somehow in a shellfish co-op, you know, the community investment co-op, to start buying some of these and having local food security? But I, I think my questions are perhaps a little premature, given that we're only a few weeks into this. But thank you, Max, for asking. So we've only got four more minutes left on our call. This has been um, a very rich second half. I really appreciate it. Uh, any concluding comments from people? I will definitely think of a lot of jobs and if we can start uh, accumulating a list of them, that sounds super exciting to me. Okay, well, I commit to bringing to the Social Profit Forum discussion next week um, the suggestion that we the organization start populating that kind of list, and then the needs and offers platform that CETA is looking to develop um, can fill the niche, I gather, for the individual needs and offers component. Um, I heard at the beginning of the call, I think just before we went on the radio from some people that they would really like me to put up two posts a week, one shortly after these calls with a summary of what happened. And uh, as Aton, uh, sorry, as Roy has been great at doing, but people are wanting to hear it from me as well. So we'll, we'll perhaps we'll tag team and collaborate there a bit. And then another posting, you know, just a day or two before the next call that literally just has the link because the last one was buried with a whole bunch of links and people got confused. So I will do my best to do that. And uh, thank you all for all of your love and dedication to this community generally, and especially in these crazy times. Uh, Mary says she'll start her list for Madsons Hall. Um, get the garden out in front under control would be lovely. So if there's any uh, any landscapers and gardeners there who aren't gardening and wish to get their fingers dirty, get in touch with Mary. Great. Thank you all. And I trust we'll see many of you in a week's time. Um, thank you for those of you joining us on the radio at Cortez Community Radio, CKTZ 89.5. Uh, please feel free to get in touch with me directly at director at cortezisland.com or by phone at 250-935-0320. Thank you, everybody. All my love. Thank you. And you've been listening to a live broadcast of this week's virtual community meeting on Zoom with Noah Anderson and Cortez community members listening to CKTZ 89.5 FM Cortez Community Radio and join our regularly scheduled programming now